You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, if you don't have your own copy, please take a a pew Bible and follow along in the text with me. We're in John chapter 7. We've been here for several several weeks. We're looking at this um, idea, the big picture that we can look and live, that we can see Jesus Christ for who he is and understand what it is that he has come to do and then understand what that means to our life. And so we looked at uh, this section, John chapter 7, last week. We'll continue again this week, and we'll look at it again next week, John chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading there in verse 14 in just a moment. Jesus is at one of the great feasts of the Jewish people, the Feast of Booths. It would have been called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. It would have been a a major celebration for the Jewish people in the fall of the year. It would have been a a celebration of God's faithfulness and and deliverance and providential care for the nation of Israel as they were taken out of Egypt. And you remember in the Old Testament that they had, uh, due to disobedience, they wandered for 40 years in the desert Uh, before they were able to enter the promised land. And so the Jews celebrated the the Feast of Booths as a way to remember that even after they were disobedient, that God faithfully took care of them for those 40 years. And they literally, historians say that they would literally construct booths, uh, little tabernacles, little tents of of foliage and things, and they would they would be in these little tents on top of their rooftops because that would have been the way that the, the Jewish people would have lived in these days of wandering. It was also a feast that historians say was a, an anticipation of the coming Messiah. So to the Jew, it was the most festive of the holidays, and it would have been a very big deal to come together and to, to celebrate God's faithfulness. Key, keep that in mind. They were celebrating God's faithfulness as he had taken care of them, but also anticipating the coming of the Messiah. So that is the context. And we, knew, we know from the previous verses that Jesus is here at the feast. Now in verse 14, we get Jesus making himself known at this feast and beginning to teach. John chapter 7, verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus came up into the temple and he began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is this that this man has learning when he has never studied? They would have known who he was or heard about him due to all the miracles leading up to John 7. They would have known that he was a a carpenter's son. They would have known about his background. But they would also have known he was not a, a studied in the law as a rabbi or a Pharisee would have been. 
Verse 16, so Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but is he who has sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know what the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, Do you have a demon? Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but that it was from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath day. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because of the Sabbath that I made a whole man's body well? You remember it would have been about a year ago in John 5 and 6 that Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath and he said, I make, you, make all of you well. So these little Pharisees, they, 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 had, they had a grudge. It was over a year long. Verse 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the, your word this morning. I pray that we listen, that you give us understanding, and that we would apply them into our life. We do thank you for your faithfulness, for the sending of your son and the giving us of the word so that we might know you and the true gospel that can truly and totally save us. So Lord, I pray that you would allow us to redeem the time that we have as we hear from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'd like to do is do a, a running commentary on these verses of Jesus' teaching and then conclude our commentary time with some application. I think that's what the Word of God does. It, it shows us what God is saying, and then there should always be that, now what? So as we look at this, and as we just kind of run through there, there's Jesus, the celebration that celebrates God's faithfulness. Hey, don't miss this. They're gathering to celebrate the faithfulness of God as he took them out of Egypt as they wandered in the desert before they entered the promised land. Here's Jesus teaching and instructing and proclaiming on what true faithfulness is. Oh, God is faithful. God is faithful that he took you out of Egypt and, and, and took care of you in the, in the wilderness and, and led you into the promised land. God is faithful as we read in the Old Testament that there will be a day when the Messiah comes. God is faithful. And I am the fulfillment of that faithfulness. Jesus didn't do anything unless there was a reason behind it. Jesus just didn't one day say, you know what, let's just go on up to Jerusalem. I've got a few words to say. No, he chose this day to say what he said because of what this day stood for. 
This is the first time we see in John's gospel that Jesus began publicly preaching in Jerusalem. Now, he had shared and ministered in Galilee, but this is the first time that he had shared in Jerusalem in this manner. And so we see from his teaching there's two ways to look at it. The substance of what he is saying and the subject matter that he is addressing as he is saying. Look at verses 14 and 18, and let's just do a a little running commentary here. Notice that Jesus' teaching was very pointed. Now, we don't know how long he spoke, but I think he spoke a long time. So, therefore, I think I can speak a long time this morning. Amen? If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for John the Baptist. It just says that at the middle of the feast, Jesus went up. We do know this is the first time that he spoke in Jerusalem in this manner. And he went directly into the temple and he began to teach. Notice what it says. They marveled. And so I'm not reading into it, but I'm reading into it. They marveled. There was something about his teaching. I think he had been teaching for for several moments. We didn't get all of the sermon. But it says they marveled at what he said. I bet Jesus could keep your attention, don't you think? I bet Jesus could be one of those that opened his mouth and you knew what he would say. The Bible tells us he was 12 years of age and he was teaching in the temple and people were listening to him. Jesus was very pointed in what he said. Jesus understood that he had come for a reason and Jesus came to fulfill that reason and he looked dead into the eyes and the hearts of those that had taken that which was good, the law, and they had turned it into man's religion instead of God's religion and he was pointing out explicitly, this is who I am. This is what I have come to do. This is what you must do in response. It would have been a very pointed message. We know earlier in John's gospel that he was pretty direct. I am the bread of life. You need to come to me. Believe what I say and you will never hunger and you will never thirst again. He said, I come to do not my own will, but the will of the Father. Over and over and over, you would have have heard Christ saying this in the gospel. And I think, based on what we have in the context, I believe that is probably exactly what he said. The same thing over and over and over. I come to fulfill the law. I am the Messiah. I am the bread of life very pointed in what he came to say and it says that they marveled can you imagine people just sitting around and somebody going who is that how does he know such things and imagine what he did I can only imagine I bet he took the old testament and he began in the Old Testament and he began to point to everything that the Old Testament pointed to about the coming Messiah. And he filled it in perfectly and perfectly. You want to talk about somebody that knows Scripture? I bet Jesus knew Scripture. I bet he had Scripture memory down pretty good. What do you think? And he was sitting there and they were going, what in the world? Where is this guy from? How does he know this? He had to be preaching that way or they wouldn't have said, where did he learn that from? very pointed in what he said his message was very clear 
Jesus never compromised his message. He would say different things at different times and different seasons based on who he was talking to, but the message never changed. Secondly, if we look at these verses, just running through there, his message was empowered. Where did you learn this from? I told somebody that this week in, in a different context. I'm not Jesus, but somebody was asking me about money, and I said, well, I don't have any money. I mean, I literally never have any money. And I opened up my wallet, and I said, you have any money? Somebody want me to buy them something to eat? I said, I don't have any money. Let me see. I'll show you. And I was just being funny. I said, but my father has a lot. It was in, in the context of football. Coach Beck, your daddy rich? Oh, is my father rich? And they said, another guy said, he finna start preaching to us. <laughs> he isn't talking about his daddy that his daddy. He's talking about his daddy, my father. Isn't that good? He picked up where I was going. My father owns the cattle of a thousand hills. They said, where did you learn this from? My father. Can you not see that? We would, I mean, I just see it. Isn't this daddy Joseph? Joseph didn't know anything. He's a carpenter. Where did you get this from? I'm glad I'm not, y'all better be glad I wasn't Jesus. I would say somebody, how many times do I have to tell you? You know what I'm, and this is it, the Pharisees were always trying to trick Jesus into saying something wrong. You can't trick perfect. You're never, he's never going to say anything wrong. Where did you learn this from? If he says his father, if he says anything about God in heaven, that's blasphemy and we got him. Where did you learn this from? And I, you know, I, I would have probably said, listen, I've already told you once before, I'm not telling you again. I come to do the will of him who sent me. My Father, which is in heaven. That's an empowered message, isn't it? Jesus is basically looking at them and saying, if you don't believe my Father, if you don't believe me, then you don't believe my Father. That is where the rub was. Oh, we believe the Father. We follow after God, but we don't know who you are. You don't know who I am. You don't know who the Father is because I come from the Father, and everything I say is from the Father. So not only is my message pointed, my message is pretty empowered. What the law did to them was it pointed them to themselves and the Pharisees and the system. See, it, religion points people to a system. Christianity points people to Jesus. Religion is about man and works and stuff and things. But Jesus and Christianity is about relationships and Christ and what he did for us. It says, my teaching, verse 16, is not my own, but his who sent me. We'll look at this in just a moment but as we move on. But notice this statement. If anyone's will is to do the Father's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking my own authority. See, here's the thing about Christ. When he says that he had come to do the will of the Father, he was explicitly and always very emphatically talking about the role of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in his coming. 
See, when we think about the gospel message of Jesus Christ, we think about a great picture of what the Trinity is and how everything works together and how God works together perfectly and completely and always to point to the same thing, redemption. Apart from the Spirit, you're not going to get this. You're never going to understand these things because you're not of the Father. Verses 19 through 24, we kind of see what he was talking about, the the subject matter, what, what he was teaching against. He was teaching for a reason, and what Christ would usually do is he would start with what they believed was wrong. Start with the wrong, and then, you know, you, you point out the wrong, and then you, you show why it makes it right. And he went straight to the law. Has Moses not given you the law? So this message that was so pointed and empowered, he, the subject matter with Christ has always been what truth is. What is the Old Testament pointing to? The, God, the law giving in the Old Testament was good. Sometimes we preachers, we make the law sound just bad, 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 bad. No, the law was given, it was good. The law was given to the Jews of the Old Testament. This is how you need to live. This is what is going to make you pleasing as you obediently follow the law. And as you realize that you cannot obey the law, then when you sacrifice, it is pleasing to me. So the law was a good thing to show people how to live, but the the law was pointing toward the coming of the Messiah. All of the Old Testament was the coming of Christ. But what they did is they took the law, which was good, and added so much of man's stuff to it that it became bad. And Christ was always, always about preaching truth, what was right, what was real, what is from God. That's a good word for today. Today, as Christians, if we stand on the word, we're considered wrong and narrow-minded and against everybody. A Christian doing what he needs to do, all we're sharing is what God has already said. That's all Christ was saying. This is what God said. This is God's word. This is the truth. He says, you have the law. Moses gave you the law, but you didn't believe the law. You didn't put your hope in that law. You took the law and you turned it into something of yourself. But God gave you the law so that you might have your hope in him. Yet none of you, verse 19, keeps the law. They had the law, notice what it said, but they didn't keep the law. If you really believed, you would have kept it. Abraham really believed, and he kept the law, and he understood what God did when he gave him the law. And Abraham was constantly looking forward, knowing that there was a Messiah that was coming. But what man does is they they hear the law, and they did not believe the law. Psalm 48, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is in my heart. So they had the law, they turned it into this works religion instead of keeping it in their heart. And Jesus goes straight to it. It's what you have done with the law that is the issue. Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you, why do you seek to kill me? We know previously that they were seeking to kill Christ. 
I love the way that they responded. Look at verse 20. The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is trying to kill you? Notice how they just skirted over that first part. They didn't want to touch the law. They didn't want to get into the debate with Jesus. Can you imagine debating Jesus Christ over the Old Testament law? So they didn't want to go there. He said to them, here's, what, here's the message. You've taken the law and you've corrupted it. That's why you're trying to kill me. They wouldn't even answer that. So their response was, who's trying to kill you? They just skirted the issue. We do that in our world today. We could can, we can take a truth of Scripture and say, thus saith the Lord. And God's word says this. Here's a great truth to believe in. And the world doesn't want to talk about what God has said. They want to talk about what we said is right or wrong. They didn't want to talk about how they perverted the law because they knew they were guilty of that. Jesus went straight to the law. Then he deals with the Sabbath. Now, what is the big deal of the Sabbath? If you have not been with us over the last several weeks, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. That was a no-no. Who said that? Man did. The Pharisees took the law and created all this other stuff to, to, to try to help people live right, but in do stuff, they became such legalists and so many things that they could do and not do. And so you could only do certain things on the Sabbath. And so this is kind of funny. So Jesus Christ walks up to the pool and there's a man that is paralyzed. And the man says, if, you, if, I, just, if I just had some help here, and he says, oh, you got some help, get up. Not only are you healed, I've done made you born again. I'm going to heal you spiritually. I'm going to heal you physically. How about that? And so here's, here's the world. You did something wrong on the Sabbath. The Sabbath says you cannot do this, you cannot do this, you cannot do that. Again, if I was Jesus, I would have rebuked every one of them and thrown leprosy on every one of them. And said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is created for a day of rest. I am the rest of Hebrews. When you read Hebrews and talk about entering to the rest, I am that rest. When you look at the Old Testament and you enter into the promised land, I am the promised land. Are you kidding me? I am the Sabbath. And I would have probably thrown in, I'll do whatever I want to. I can just see them now. I've got, I keep me a little preacher book back here because I can't remember anything. Well, we have written down right here that a year ago, you healed a man and broke the Sabbath. She probably, they probably looked over there and said, oh, we got him on that one. And then Jesus said, so let me get this straight. You circumcise on the Sabbath. And circumcision in Jewish culture was a, a sign of being a Jew, being part of the covenant community. So it was a sign of what you said you, you believed, that you were identifying with the chosen nation of Israel. So the circumcision was a sign of something you did to say what you belonged to. We can do that on the Sabbath, but Jesus cannot heal an entire man on the Sabbath? If on the Sabbath a man receives a circumcision so the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? In other words, and then verse 24, but 
do not judge by appearances, but judge with a right judgment. Jesus says, you judge, but your judgment is wrong. You judge on what you see. I judge on what I see in the heart and see lived out. And Jesus says, my judgment is a righteous judgment, but your judgment is a sinful judgment. That's a running commentary of that text. His teaching and the source of his teaching and the the subject matter of his teaching as he is dialoguing for the first time about these types of matters with uh, the people in the temple as they await and celebrate the provision of God. But what about us today? How can we take this truth, these truths that God so clearly has given us and uh, apply them into our life? I think we can do so very easily. Because of God's faithfulness through Christ, we know that the, the gospel is still God's faithful message of Christ. We know that God is is faithful. We know that God has always been faithful and always will be faithful. And we know that God always has a a redemptive end in mind. I I keep sharing this as we go through John. We as as a church and we as believers today, we're in the, the final leg of redemptive history. The next great event in redemptive history is the coming of the Lord. The sun has come, the sun has died, the sun has been risen from the dead, the spirit has fallen upon believers, the apostles received inspiration and wrote the scripture, we have been given the word of God, the spirit of God, everything is in place and nothing is going to change, nothing needs to be added, everything is finished until Christ comes again and then it's over. Life on earth will be no more. What can we take from this text? Well, let's look at the teachings of Jesus. As we see this pointed preaching. When we think about preaching the gospel and living the gospel out, as we think about talking and living out truth in the world that we live in, I think there are some things that we need to understand. I think what we say and how we live concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ there's some great truths here one it needs to be bold and uncompromising I mean Jesus stood up in the have you ever been around have you ever have you ever been around people you know who didn't like you everybody likes me the preacher so I don't ever encounter that right have you ever entered into a situation going I'm gonna walk in this room and I know they don't like me I've done that before Have you ever entered into a room where you know people wanted to kill you? Now, if you go in there and you start talking that foolishness, these people are going to kill you. Some of us, I might be guilty of that. I think I'm going to call in sick today then. Jesus stood up in there. Here's the thing about it. Don't forget this. He knew how he was going to die. 
He knew that he was going to die on a cross for our sin when he stood up in that temple and he opened his mouth. Every time he looked at Judas, he understood Judas was going to betray him. And he knew the type of death that he would face for the sin of humanity. But he was bold and uncompromising. Oh, that we could be people that are bold and uncompromising. We, can I just say we? Sometimes I think they. No, we, we. The doors are shut. Us. We are so afraid of what they would think or how they would take it that we say nothing. And it is the absolute truth. We'll get to the attitude of this in a minute, but just just being able to say, this is what I believe. This is what you need to hear. And I think that's part of the problem. We need to know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And the greatest need of all humanity is forgiveness of sin through the blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. Oh, that we could be people that are just bold and uncompromising about what they believe. One of the greatest compliments I ever received was by a lost person. He said, I don't believe a word he says, but he really believes, and I respect him for that. I think the world would not have an idea what most of us believe. I mean, we look on the news today, and we got pastor this, pastor that, religious this, religion that, and they're debating things about scriptures already said, and the world says, I don't, what do they believe? I think we can be people that are just people that are, you know, help me. No, here's a great prayer. Lord, help me be like Jesus. Isn't that a great prayer? What would Jesus do? Jesus would stand up and have a pointed message that would point people to him. This is not our message. This is his message. And he's all about love and redemption. But we need to be people that are bold and uncompromising, willing to speak in the midst of persecution. Willing to say things that we know that the world does not want to hear. He knew that they would not be supportive of the message, nor the messenger, yet he remembered his mission. What was he here to do? To fulfill the will of the Father. What are we here to do? We're here to fulfill the will of our Father. I was reminded this morning, there's no trailer hitch on a hearse. What does that mean? You're not taking anything with you. I've often said I'm not going to be in a hearse. Sharon has said she is going to stuff me and prop me up in the corner. Y'all just be ready. Y'all come over and check on Sharon. Is John still here? He's still here. (laughs) Just can't let him go. I turn him around when the boyfriend comes over, though. That's kind of weird. <laughs> totally lost track where I was headed with that. So, sorry about that. That was not very bold. and un- That was compromising right there. I got you. I'm back. There's no trailer hitch on a hearse. 
So all the stuff we spend time doing doesn't matter in eternity. What matters in eternity is what goes with us. Our tithes and offering go with us. Do you believe that? I do. Our, our, our church attendance goes with us. Our witnessing to a neighbor goes witness. Our praying for one another goes witness. My holiness goes with us. The way that we live in our community goes with us. Those things that we do and we think nobody's watching, that goes with us too. Wouldn't it be great? Now think about our mission. Our mission is not to be the most liked, the most popular, to get along with everybody at all costs. And those are good, so don't, don't lose me on that. But if that's our goal, success, happiness, stuff, things, we're missing our mission. When you know what you know that you've been called to do and you know that's your mission, then you're bold and you under, I'm not deviating from the mission. I am sure Jesus in the flesh did not want to go to Jerusalem. But God the Son knew that was his mission. So we need to be people that are bold and uncompromising with the message that we have of Christ. But also we need to be articulate and authoritative. Those are two good words. Know what we're saying. We live in a day and age where it's just big picture that oh we need to be able to articulate what it is that we believe why is it that people need to be saved I mean if, if I walk in Walmart and just get on the PA system and say who wants to go to heaven everybody wants to go to heaven meet me on the on the bread aisle if you want to go to heaven just come to the bread aisle all in favor of going to heaven say amen amen that's not articulating the gospel Articulating the gospel is to say, this is why Jesus Christ came. Here is the need. This is what he did on the cross. This is how we respond to what he did on the cross. This is what it means to open up your heart in repentance and faith and be saved. This is what it means to live that life out until he calls us home. We need to be able to articulate that which we know and understand that we've got some authority from God that is backing up every word of it. It's not our message. Sometimes I might leave here on a Sunday and I'm looking at the clock now and it's like, well, you went over. Well, take it up with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I've had people sit there and tell me, in my office with an open Bible. Now, check this out. Pastor's office, open Bible. I don't believe a word you're saying. I didn't say it. God has said it. See, if we stick with the word, and I see the Pharisees didn't stick with what God said. They took what God said and added their stuff to it. We're not adding our stuff to it. We're just sticking with the word. Hey, I want to articulate what God has said, but this is not my message. That's a good thing to me. I'm excited. I can say, hey, I didn't come up with this. God did. That's what makes it so great. It's God's word. In my studies, this word came up, so I don't use this word very often, but I, I like this word as we think about how Jesus spoke. He's bold and uncompromising. We need to be. He articulated what he needed to say because it was authoritative. Notice this. It's verifiable and God-centered. The God-centered is my word. The verifiable is the word I borrowed. 
Jesus said, listen, you're either going to get it or you're not going to get it. It's not my job to prove that you get it. It's kind of the idea that when you preach the message and some people says, I need to be saved today. And that other person says, I'm not, I, don't, I don't believe a word of it. It, it. I've said the same thing. Somebody may be on my left and somebody may be on my right. I've said the same thing. The temperature's the same. The lighting's the same. They heard it the same, but they didn't receive it the same. I know God has to be working before me. That's a given. And that excites me. I know God has got to be working before me. The Spirit has to open up their eyes to the truth. But as I proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, I see where God is working. And people respond as the Spirit opens their eyes in faith. If, a, if a someone just says, I just don't believe a word of it, that is not on me. We don't have time to go there, but... Write down John 16, verse 7 and 11. John 16, 7 through 11. We'll eventually get there. Jesus said, listen, I'm going to send a helper, the paraclete. I'm going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict and to judge and to lead and to guide. That's what the Spirit does. When I preach the Word of God, it's like I'm throwing the Word of God out there, and it's the Spirit's job to do the rest. I have no control over that. In other words, I know this message is true because it's true to me. I know it's true. There's no no doubt this is true. It's been verified by the Spirit within me. And it was a God-centered message. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew that. That's not changed for us today. We could stand up and boldly with no compromise whatsoever. I'm not going to compromise at all. And I'm going to preach the word. And I'm going to be articulate and authoritative because it's sent by God. And I know that the Spirit is working before me. And I'm going to keep the focus of that message not on me or nothing else. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I know that God will take that for his glory. That's the way Christ always taught. Why don't we teach that way? Why don't we share that way? There are times I have to confess. I could be up here preaching or teaching and I feel like it's just hinging on me. It's not hinging on me. I can trust the message because of the one that sent me to proclaim the message. We looked at what Christ said and the the substance of what he said. And and now let's look at how do we apply the the subject of that message. So think about what we said. Jesus attacked the law and Jesus attacked the Sabbath. Real quick, let's consider these things. They had added to the law. Jesus said, listen, you've got your law. This is the law. You've got your Sabbath. This is the Sabbath. If we want to get the the subject of our message where it needs to be, then we need to understand that the gospel truth is all that we should be concerned about. 
My only concern is to get the truth right. All, my only concern is to make sure that I don't get bogged down in man's law and man's Sabbath, that I'm focusing on living the truth out and preaching that truth out and the gospel message and the truth of the gospel found from Genesis to Revelation, I never compromise on. And then we also understand that as we look at the law and the Sabbath, it's not these things. You know, it, 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 it'd be like, what I do. We're worried about what we do. I've had people say, you know, make my, make my child obey. Make my child pick at the room. Make my husband do this. Make so-and-so do this. We get so hung up on the thing. Secondly, what we need to understand, not only that the gospel needs to be absolutely true and what we focus on, but secondly, that we understand, and Jesus understood this, it's not that they were doing was the issue, it's the heart that's the issue. I get in trouble all the time. You might notice this. You'll be looking for this now. If I ever go out to eat with you and the meal's over and we start talking, I'm going to take the spoon and start doing this. And Sharon goes, stop! And I always look at her and go, honey, that's just what ADD people do. It is a heart issue, honey. Yeah, but that heart, I'm going to rip your heart out if you don't quit banging that spoon on the table. We do what we do because of what's going on in our heart. When I look at the world and get frustrated by what people do, it leads to our third point. How do we get to the heart? The gospel. Jesus was not worried about fixing all what they were doing wrong with the law. He was trying to get them to understand, I fulfill the law. Quit focusing on the, the stuff that we're doing. The heart is the issue. And so if the heart is the issue, then the gospel is the answer. What if we were to worry about that stuff? We worry about all the things that go on that drive us crazy. Yes, they drive us crazy, but the heart is the issue in a fallen man. And the only response to a fallen man and a wicked heart is the love and the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why a good church is a church that's about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, when we open up the Word of God, we know that the Word of God is the only thing by the Spirit of God is going to change someone's heart. I think we today have lost our understanding that the gospel is enough. It's enough. It was enough then. It is enough now. What are we going to do, pastor? Things have gotten so bad. The gospel is enough. Believe the gospel. Live the gospel out. Share the gospel. Not some watered-down man's gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that is found in Scripture. A gospel that is clear and articulate and empowered, motivated by love and our understanding that they need Christ. And then he gives us, and we need this, the last thing I want to say. He gives us a great lesson on judgment. Now we got that part down pat. <laughs> we got the judging down pat, don't we? We love to judge. There is a righteous judgment and a sinful judgment. The sinful judgment is always based on appearance and what we do. What we do is important. But legally, the fruit of legalism is always what is being done. 
I had a friend that was part of a very legalistic church, and you, you had to have on a, a, button, a, a white shirt and a dark tie every Sunday. You were not faithful. The hair of the men's ears could not touch their ears. The hair had to be above their ears. No, can you imagine? Oh, my goodness, I'd be fired. I have facial hair. Women could not wear slacks. So what happened when you walked in the door of that church? Your hair's too long. Where's your tie? You would, they would literally take a woman that was in slacks and say she couldn't stay in there. See, that's legalism, appearance, doing. <clears throat> that's sinful judgment. Jesus is about righteous judgment. Here's a couple of things to consider on judgment, and we'll move on with this. God has called us to discern right and wrong. That's not judgment. When, when I look at the Bible, let me say this first. When I look at the Bible and say, brother and sister in Christ, or just world, based on what God has given us, this is the truth. That's not judgment. That's just discerning and communicating what is right. That is not judgment. Anytime we make a statement that clarifies what God has said, the world says, you're judging. No, I'm not judging. I'm just declaring and I'm discerning. That is not judgment. Sinful judgment are these things. When we pass judgment on someone else's life, when our life is not where it needs to be. That's hypocrisy. When we want to point out somebody else's faults and we know that we don't have our life put together. And we feel like it's our job to be the, the get everything right police. That's, a, that's hypocrisy. That's a sinful judgment. Another type of judgment is that we judge someone on, based on what we think or what you thought you saw or heard. We're real good at that, by the way. I know this. I always get real nervous around church. Pastor, I, need, I know this happened. How do you know that happened? Because I heard it in the parking lot at the church that so-and-so told them at the grocery store that so-and-so said this, and, I, and, we just, and then we just run with it. I know, listen, then a soul in here that's the Holy Spirit. How many times have we said this? I know what they're thinking. I mean, that'd be like me sitting here right now. Let me find a, a frown on somebody's face. I know what you're thinking right now. How dare you think that way? You need to smile when I'm preaching to you because you're thinking, you're smiling. You know, am I the Holy Spirit? Now I can just peer into your I can read motives in mind that's a sinful judgment how, how dare we say I know what someone's thinking I know their motives they accused Jesus of blasphemy and he he's God do not judge with a harsh or bitter spirit the goal of judgment is not exile and proving a point, I told you I was right. You know what judgment is? Biblical judgment, biblical discerning, biblically approaching someone. Correction. Hey, brother or sister, 
I've kind of picked up on something that I'm seeing. And because I love you, let's talk. What is the goal? To be right? Or to point fault out? Or correction? Poor old Joel Osteen. I'm not a big Joel Osteen fan. And if you liked or shared this, just don't make eye contact with me. It wasn't true. Joel Osteen did not open up his church, and I'm not a big Joel Osteen fan. He did not open up his church because there was some flood damage and blah, 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 blah. How many people saw the Facebook shares about what a heretic he was? I've even had friends, yeah, It wasn't true. But we love to share it. Just because it's on the internet does not mean it's true. Okay? Just because someone said it in the parking lot, they might not have taken their medicine that morning. They might be in their own little universe. You don't know. Some of our folks are pretty heavy medicated. They get off out of system. They're going to say everything. And I, I'd use that as an example. I, I, I'm, not a, I mean, I'm not a Joel Osteen fan, per se, but they just raked him. And I was excited when somebody said, listen, guys, this is not true. Okay, this is not true. But we love to share those things. And then last, notice Christ, humble, meek, gentle, pointed and assertive, only time he really got mad, they took his father's temple and turned it into a den of robbers, and he kind of got a whip out there and cleared house. Never raised his voice, never got sarcastic, never got demeaning. He always, I, I believe with all of my heart, he looked into the eyes of, of Judas and loved him. He knew what he was going to do, he knew that it was nothing he could do to change that. But I believe he loved him. I believe Jesus loved these men that were condemning him. Yes, we need to teach boldly and have a message and be excited and let people know what we believe is absolutely true. And yes, we need to attack the law and the Sabbaths of man and what they've created and these things. But we need to do it like Jesus did it. Some of us need to know what we believe and be bold about it. Some of us need to be loving about it. Some of us just need to get in the, in, involved and do it. But we learn so much from a simple narrative of Jesus' teaching in the temple. A message of faithfulness. We're celebrating faithfulness in the Feast of Booths. And I am here to proclaim what true faithfulness is all about. Jesus said, that is found in me. You trust in me. You trust in the faithfulness of God. Let's stand as we pray this morning. Lord God, we do thank you for the word of Scripture, for the message of your Son, Jesus Christ, for the lessons that we learn so clearly in Scripture as we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And Lord, if we're here this morning and we do need to make an, an outward decision of an inward decision, I pray today would be that day. Let us stop living in the middle, living in the gray, living in both sides of the world. And let us live for you. Let us trust you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray.